Hey, welcome to the Saints Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church. We are continuing our series, God, Sex, and Money, things you don't talk about around the dinner table, uh, but we're going to talk about it here. Today, I'm sharing a biblical perspective on sex and sexuality. Why don't you dive right into this? And if it impacts you, would you share it? Uh, Would you send it to somebody? Let them know that they need to jump into this podcast episode. Let's go. Who loves the book of Leviticus? Ben Lemke. Uh, does anyone love Leviticus? You know, anytime, you, if you've ever tried to read the Bible through in a year, Bible reading plan, uh, you do pretty good in Genesis. You know all those all those accounts now. Like you could you could just say all of those because you start there, you make it to Exodus, you start slowing down. Genesis, Exodus, you're doing okay. You get to Leviticus, you bog out, you quit the program. And then about four months later, you join back in. And by that time, you're hopefully in the New Testament. You're like, okay, I made it. I made it. So you've, you've pretty much missed all of the Bible from Leviticus to Malachi. Uh, but you jumped in in Matthew because you're into Leviticus. And you're like, I don't understand all these rules. I don't, stand the, I don't understand all these commands. Uh, rabbis would tell us that there's 613 commandments in Old Testament law. You thought there was 10. There's 613, and you're like, oh, that's why I can't read it, because I'm reading this, and I'm like, what? I, I, you can't do what? You can't, we can't eat shellfish? Okay, I don't understand. I don't get it. I, the, I, you lost me at I can't eat bacon. But in Romans 15, Apostle Paul actually tells us that all of, all of this Old Testament is actually for our learning, that we can actually learn some things, we can pull it out, and it can frame and, and help us with our understanding and our perspective. So what was happening in Leviticus is that God was actually building a society from ground up. The Israelites were, were, you have to remember, uh, for hundreds, hundreds of years, so for longer than Canada has been a country, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Okay? Just for some, like, timeline perspective. So they get out. They get out of Egypt. And they're wandering around a desert and there's no rule of law. There's no order. There's no, all they've known is oppression. All they've known is indentured servitude. All they know is serving a master. And so they get out and God says, listen, we're going to build a community. We're going to build a society from the ground up. That's what Leviticus is all about. He's creating guidelines for health and wholeness. He's establishing sanitary protocols. You read through some of these commandments, a lot of it has to do with communicable diseases. And he's like, hey, if you've got pus coming out of you, stay away from other people. Also, don't touch dead bodies. Normal hygiene stuff. Stuff that we're like, well, everybody knows that. No, you know that because somebody taught it to you. Right? You know that you wash your hands. Please tell me we know that we wash our hands. After we go to the bed, we know this. Some of us are still learning it, but we know this. That's why I hand sanitize after every Sunday. I'm, I'm glad that I shake all your hands, but my God. <laughs> you never know. This is why God established commandments, right? This is, this is why he did this. That, that was his purpose. Now, here's what's really interesting. When God was giving these commandments, he didn't say why. He didn't say why. I don't know, you know, we've got two boys, now they're 9 and 11, but when they were younger, there's that stage where everything was a why. 
Everything's a why. Hey, we're going to go do this. Why? And if you're, if you're a gracious parent, you might explain it. But if you're a parent like me, you're like, because I said so. That's why. All authority belongs to me. You know? <laughs> In this household, because I said so. But as, as, as your kids grow up, that doesn't, that doesn't fly, right? You have to start explaining. You have to start giving some context. You have to start saying, listen, well, we're going to go here and here and here. And we're going to go because you want to eat, right? So we're going to go to the grocery store. You know, and you, you start just beginning to explain it out. But in this moment, God didn't say why. He just said, this is how you're to build a society. This is how you're to live. This is how you relate. This is how you handle death. This is like, this is how you handle disease. This is how you handle uh, when, when people are like, kill each other. Here's, here's literally the law. When they sin against one another, when, when you steal something, this is how you handle it. But he didn't say why. He didn't explain the benefits. He didn't explain the benefits of the rule of law. But here's what he did say. Be holy as I am holy. And that statement is an invitation to be like him. There's actually a call and a promise. Okay, there's two parts here. A call and a promise. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, here we go, Leviticus, let's go. Leviticus 20, 26, it says, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. You are mine. I have called you. I chose you. I created you. I handcrafted you. You are to be holy because I am holy. It's a family trait. It's what I'm calling you to. In Deuteronomy 7 and 12, it says this, if you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. Deuteronomy 7, 15, and the Lord will protect you from all sickness. Now pay attention to this. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt but he will inflict them on all your enemies. What he's saying is, you knew how to live before, but the way that you lived for the last hundreds of years, 400 years, the way that you lived actually made you sick. I'm gonna show you a new way to live, and I promise you that I'm gonna take care of you. But he doesn't say, And here's the 17 reasons why. He simply says, be holy for I am holy. Ecclesiastes 3.11 gives us some perspective when it says people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is what we wrestle with, right? We're, we're, trying to, like, we're trying to put it together. We're trying to figure out, God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? He says, be holy as I am holy. Now, looking back in a retrospective, when we, when we look back, now that we know what we know, okay, we know what we know about sanitation. We know what we know. Here's what God was doing. He was establishing sanitation and hygiene. He was establishing food safety. Food safety. You're like, oh, food safety. Yeah, don't, if you don't cook it up to this temperature, you're going to get sick. But instead of saying, if you don't cook it up, he just said, don't eat it because we're going to eliminate the margin for error. He didn't explain it, 
but we see the results embedded in the promise. Deuteronomy 7.15, and the Lord will protect you from all sickness. That's what that's about. He says, don't eat this, don't do this, this is my way. And like, but we, we man, I just loved it when I used to eat the shellfish when I was in Egypt. It's like, don't. And I'm sure somebody was angry about it. He says, the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. Now, here's what's really interesting. They actually inflicted it on themselves because they just didn't have the knowledge that God gave the Israelites. He didn't have to do anything other than go, you just do what you want to do, whatever you want to do it. And if you do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, it's not going to go well for you. That's counterintuitive to everything that we know in our world, right? We say, man, if I could do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it, things are going to be great. And God goes, ah, I don't think history is on your side on that one. I think about it like this in Isaiah 55. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Which is good news because if my thoughts are as high as God's thoughts and I'm a God and if I'm God, then I'm out of control and this world is not in a good place. And it's even worse if you're in charge. We'll just even the playing field. So you could look at 613 commandments and you can say, wow, that's, that's really controlling. That's really repressive. That's really, I don't know about that. Or you could look at the 613 commandments and go, wow, whoever put that in place really cares. And he really loves those people. And he doesn't even want them to eat these things. And he says, if, if your skin is doing this thing, go get it checked out, but stay away from other people. And he starts like caring about the smallest tiny details. Why? Because in Psalm 37, it says that he cares about and he takes delight in the details of your life. So knowing what I know now, I look at those commandments and I don't see an angry, manipulative, controlling God. I see a loving God who sees, knows, and cares. Right? Knowing what I know now, knowing that I'm like, you're right. That's that you shouldn't. You know, you need to go to the bathroom somewhere else. That's common sense. Not if you don't know what you don't know. This is, this is still a major, by the way, this is still a major problem in our world today, proper sanitary procedures. That's why I love groups like Samaritan's Purse who travel around and when they bring water into a new area that desperately needs water, uh, they, they teach them all these, these common sense things. It's common sense because somebody loved you enough to teach you about it. For being really honest, somebody loved you enough to say no at some point. So if we're now trying to understand where we are today, there's two things, and we talked about one last week and one this week, there's two things that have a stranglehold on us in society today. Sex and money. Right? They've, they've got a stranglehold on our society. Everything in our world revolves around these two things. Like, I don't think that's true. Have you not watched television? Do you not scroll on the internet? Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can, can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
Okay, that's talking about money. But I would suggest that these two subjects, it's the same passage. Money was given to us as a tool, but money got into our heart. Money in our hand is a tool. Money in our heart is poison. Sex and sexuality is the same way. It was given as a gift and as a God. It was actually the ultimate picture of intimacy. When we get to heaven, and I hate to disappoint this room, but when you get to heaven, there will be no more sex. That's just in the Bible. If you haven't got to that part yet, get on the Bible reading plan. <laughs> I, every, I just got a shocked room. They're like, oh my God, what? We got to go. I don't. Because in Bible language, there's shadows and types and it speaks to, we're actually described like the church, and this is kind of awkward for men, but the church in a, as a whole is, is described as the bride of Christ. And it speaks to the intimacy that we will have, that we will no longer have a need because really we are spiritual beings having a body in physical experience and we have no we no longer need those things because when we get into heaven there will be such a depth of intimacy and connection with the creator of the universe that the what our soul craves is entirely different and how we are fulfilled is an entirely different way see but you are not created to be enslaved to any of these one things money or sex or anything else you are not created to be enslaved First Corinthians six. Let's let's jump in there. The church in Corinth is a great parallel to us. First uh, Corinthians six, verse twelve to thirteen says, "You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and stomach for food. That is true. Now here's where it gets wild. That is true." though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. He cares about you. He cares about you. So if we were to drop a pin on Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, we would look a lot like Corinth in AD 74. In our societal climate, Things were wild. If you've ever read the book of Corinthians, you would understand that things were wild. Let, let me just give you a taste. Are, are you, you good to go on this journey? First Corinthians 5. We are alive today, somebody. Okay. You're like, we can't agree with anything you say because this is a journey. We don't know yet. Okay. It says, I can hardly believe the report about sexuality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. Now there is in this time, in this era, in this moment, there is not a greater, there is not a greater insult that Paul could throw out. He's like, people that believe in no God do not act how you are acting right now. It's wild out there, but it's more wild in here. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his, with his stepmother, and you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. I've got so many things. I'm just going to stick to the notes. Okay, I'll go there. Uh, 
What was happening is that it was worse in here than it is out there. But it's not worse for the reasons that you think. 1 Corinthians 11, it, this is, it just continues to get more wild, okay? But in, the, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. By the way, this is the passage right before what I read every time we do communion. So just buckle up. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. <laughs> Maybe you should stop getting together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Oh, what he's saying is, you're disagreeing. There's, there's division amongst you. And what they were divided over was like, I like this preacher, and I like this preacher, and I like this person, I like this theology. He says, no, no, there should be divisions, but it should be divisions between who's living the life and who is not. Because a few of you are not. So get this. When you meet together, verse 20, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So they would have a meal before communion. They would do a, a, like a whole meal together, okay? It's as if before communion, we just had a whole brunch. Uh, just, but watch what happened to this brunch, though. <laughs> For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal. So you, it was like a potluck, which I don't like, but it, people love it. So they're just all bring... I just don't trust you, okay? So... <laughs> I went to Bible college. I used to travel. We used to sing in a choir and we had to go places and, and people would make us meals. And I can tell you about half the time I ended up sick. So I'm just saying food safety, like let's go to Leviticus more often. It says, for some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. This is church. This is a church brunch. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. And then he tells them how to do communion. <laughs> and here's the real problem. So you could, we could make a list. We could say, well, we don't have anyone that's sleeping with their stepmother here, so that's fine, we're good that you know of. <laughs> it's funny that you thought that was a joke. Then they're getting drunk at a family brunch at church before they take communion. And they are hoarding food from people. So if you didn't bring your own, and it, and it was actually the, the division of the rich and the poor. Those who had kept and ate and those who had nothing brought something and then were held from all the goodness that the rest of the family had to provide. They're like, well, we don't have those problems here. But let's understand what the real problem was. It was the appearance of godliness. He says, you are so proud of your spirituality. Later in this passage, he starts creating, it says, an, uh, it's an order uh, for 
uh, like a, a plan for orderly worship. He creates a structure because they were flowing in all these spiritual things. They were flowing in spiritual gifts. Like if you read 1 Corinthians 11 straight through 14, you'll see that the presence of God was there. It was active. It was alive. People were prophesying and praying. There were signs, wonders, miracles. All the things were popping, but they were so proud of their appearance of spirituality, but they had hearts that were turned against God. Now, here's the thing. You could go, okay, well, Corinth, if you, if you read history, you'd find that Corinth had quite a history of mixing sex and religion. In fact, all their trade partners, this is just history, all the trade partners would, would go on and on and on about how immoral they were as a city. So there's a thousand male prostitutes in, in the temple because they worshiped Aphrodite. Later, once the Romans took over, they just switched gods and they worshiped Venus. I didn't know it was that easy. So sex was already worked into their religious experience. That's why Paul was saying, man, it's worse in here than it is out there. You know, it's, it's kind of like going to Vegas. You go to Vegas and Listen, I'm going to tell you this. I go to vacation in Vegas every year. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> and you're not concerned. You don't know if you should be more upset that I go to Vegas. Or I just said, oh my God. <laughs> but that's what you were thinking. Like, how could this guy lead us? Because here's the reality. Las Vegas is not any more sexual immoral than Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. It's just public there. What's worse, a public display or the appearance of spirituality, the appearance that everything's put together, the appearance that everything's okay? Who, what's worse, the truth or the lie? Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 actually died for that type of performance. See, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they hear there's a guy named Barnabas who, who had this like excess of land and property. And he was so moved by what God was doing in the church that he sold the land. He sold it. He sold multiple acres. So please do this. And he brought the money to the church. He said, I'm just going to give it all to you. These are the proceeds. I'm just going to give it all to whatever you want to do. Ananias and Sapphira see that. And they see that all of a sudden Barnabas is actually rising in influence. Now, Barnabas is rising in influence because of his nature. He was an encourager. His name actually wasn't Barnabas. It was just the name that they gave him. Barnabas, son of encouragement, because he couldn't stop encouraging. He couldn't start like uplifting people. He could not stop himself. But they see this is, this is the first power play in the church. I'm going to use my money to get somewhere. So they sell a piece of property. And they come to the disciples and they say, here it is. Here's all of it. The truth is, Ananias and Sapphira, this couple, decided between themselves that they weren't going to give all of it, just some of it. It's going to hold back a little bit. But they were going to tell the apostles that it was all of it. And God first brings in the husband, Ananias. He tells this lie. God speaks to the apostle and goes, he's not telling the truth. And they go, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? He dies. God kills him right there. Then his wife comes in and he goes, oh, so you guys sold this piece of land, right? He's like, yeah. And you gave all of it to the church, right? Yeah. Drops dead right there. As if to say that God has no tolerance for people 
for you and me who use what we have, whatever it is in our hands, to manipulate or control what he wants to do. Leviticus 20, verse 26, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all the other people to be my very own. Let's see this again. Let's fast forward to the New Testament because there's someone here that's saying he hasn't talked about the New Testament yet, so we don't have to believe this. Let's go to the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He called you out. He called you out. If you're sitting here and and you've been here for any length of time, there's a good chance that he called you out from the darkness of your own life and decision and he called you into the light and glory of his. He called you out. He says, well, well, how do we get here where we live in, in a society or in a church where we just celebrate the uncelebratable? And that's not the right word, but it's okay. Well, we rationalize. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 13. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and stomach for the food. That is true. Though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. Why? Because they were made for the Lord. You were made for the Lord. and He cares about our body. So I just want to unpack some myths. Pastor, can we unpack some myths together? Let's do it. I I go to Pastor Hunter because he's the only person who responds on a Sunday. We're working on it as a church family. We're working on it. Thank you, Isabel. I'll just start saying by name, you know, I'll just, I know the sound of your voice. Myth number one, God just wants me to be happy. Actually, God just wants me to be holy. Yeah, that'll preach, right? Don't take my word for it. First Corinthians six it says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You invite him to live in your your life. He lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. If you want to see 1 Corinthians 6 personified, go back to Genesis 39 and you'll find the moment with Joseph when Potiphar's wife says, I want to sleep with you. And he's like, no, I'm going to honor the Lord. And he just runs away. That's what Paul's mentioning here. He says, run. Other translations say flee. There is not another set of sins that this parameter is put on in scripture. You're like, but they're all equal, right? Well, if you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But God says, listen, there is some collateral damage that happens in this area that you are not aware of. Just think about Samson. We won't even go there. Number two, my body, my way. Nope. (laughs) He made it. Scripture says you were made for the Lord and you were bought with a high price. When Jesus Christ went and gave his life for you on the cross. Ah, myth number three. 
I was born this way. I'm like, oh, he's going to get canceled now. I'll just read the scripture. John 3, 3, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. See, because all of this, you're like, I oh, mean, you're just talking about sin. Yes, I am. But we're not actually talking necessarily about the physical action. We're talking about the heart thing. The physical action is, is simply a physical manifestation of what's going on on the inside of you. Matthew 5, 27, this is where Jesus throws down. He gets in the mix and then he raises the bar and you're just confused by how you can even live. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You're like, okay, so I'm done. So here's generally what happens in a message like this. People that have been married for a long time, we're sitting in church. We're like, yeah, you get them, pastor. You get them. You talk to those young adults and you say, you're not married yet. You tell them. This is not just for an, one demographic. God says, be holy as I am holy. He didn't put an age restriction on it. In marriage, while it is a part of God's plan, does not exclude you to live a holy life. It takes care of one area. Let's look at the, the fruit. So in, in Galatians, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And we love the fruits of the Spirit. We're like, oh yeah, love, joy, peace, kindness. Oh, that's all so good. But it actually just talks about another kind of fruit. The fruit of living in a life that is not holy. And this, this is what it looks like. So Galatians 5.19. This is the contrasting list in Galatians 5.19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's flash back to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's trying to give you a kingdom. Don't fool yourselves. Those who's indulged in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord and by the spirit of our God. In other words, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And scripture says, you, it used to be like that for you. But I'm transforming you. You're looking more and more like me. He says, don't go back to where you were. You were once bound up and chained and, and addicted. And now you're free. Don't go back and be enslaved by the things that I set you free from. 
There's more for you. Here's where I'm going to land this. The same way I landed the last one. My relationship with God has a direct impact on my view of sex and sexuality. First thing, might feel eerily familiar. Jesus is first in everything. First thought, he has a plan for my sexuality. And it's a gift to be enjoyed. It's for your enjoyment. Song of Solomon, which if you're under 18, you probably shouldn't read these days. There's sexual poetry in the Bible. It happens in Song of Solomon. It's wild. And DeAndre didn't read it till after he got married. <laughs> Song of Solomon 8, verse 4, he says, Promise me, O women, usually it's the men in the hot seat, but in this moment, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Colossians 1.18 says, so he is first in everything. He's first in everything because I follow Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. When I live his way, I enter all truth and I find life. His way says, sex is for a hus one husband and one wife. There's a plan in that. There's a purpose in that because we only see it from a physical perspective, but we do not see it from a spiritual perspective. We do not understand what is happening in our souls, in our hearts, as we get entangled from relationship to relationship to relationship. We don't understand that, that in some ways and in some seasons, we're just trying to fill all kinds of voids in our own lives with this physical act. He's first in everything. I shared, I shared our wedding verse, Des and I, last week, Matthew 6, 33, six, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It just comes down to this. Am I gonna believe his word or not? He's first, if he's not first, he's like, it's a win or lose situation. If he's not first, I'm not following him. It's countercultural. Now, now track with me here. You might even say, this seems like punishment. I should be able to do what I want with who what I want, when I want, how I want. Man, this, this seems like you're putting a parameter on me that, man, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like this. It's, you don't like it because you don't know what you don't know. In the same way, when the Israelites received the law and they said, wow, this seems like a lot and I don't understand why I can't eat the shellfish and why I can't touch dead bodies. We look back, we go, well, I can tell you why. He did it because he loved them and he cared for them, not because he's trying to punish you, because he's trying to protect you and your heart and your life and your destiny. This is the promise, Deuteronomy 7, 12. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you. Last thing, this next thing I should say, Jesus is my Lord and King. Because I know who I'm following, I know who is in charge and I know who I'm submitted to. And I can tell you who's in charge of my life. His name is Jesus. He's the king of every area of my life, including my sex and my sexuality. Every part of my life. I don't leave any part out. It's every part. It's all in. Because his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my ways. And last thing. 
it's Jesus is my provider. You know, I don't understand how this has to do with anything because in every facet of my life, he cares about every facet of my life. Dr. Albert Muller says like this, sexuality is one of God's good gifts and the source of much human happiness. At the same time, once expressed outside this intended context of marital fidelity, it can become one of the most destructive forces in human existence. See, Jesus is my provider because he cares and he sees and he knows me. And that intimacy that I'm craving, he can feel it. That closeness that I desire, he can feel it. That feeling of safety, he can provide that. That sense of connection, he can offer that. And he offers that in a number of ways. One of those through a personal relationship with himself where he can actually satisfy the desires of your soul. But for many of us, that happens through a husband or a wife. He provides just the right person at just the right time. And then there's another category of person who's called to live a life that remains celibate and they just follow the plans and purposes of Jesus. That's what the apostle Paul did. And he did it because he understood that he was on a very dangerous mission across the planet. He, he was beaten and he was beat up to spread this message of hope. He said, I'm just gonna go all in and I'm gonna follow Jesus with everything. He gave literally everything, including this area. We say Jesus is my provider when we understand that sex is not a tool for manipulation or control. Now here's the greatest myth. That the ultimate goal of these guidelines is prevention. We're just gonna stop people from having sex. That's not the goal. The goal is redemption, not prevention. Pastor Landon McDonald articulates it in such a powerful way. It, God's highest ultimate calling in sexuality is redemption, not prevention. There was a time in an era that we thought if we could just get you to suppress whatever it is you feel, feel that you could, you could manipulate and you could manage. You can't manipulate and you can't manage. Following Jesus is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. And you might be in this room today and you say, you know, I, I, I man, I, I've just felt judgment and shame and condemnation every time I came around a Christian because I knew what they thought about me. No, that's not, that's not what they think about you. Maybe it's what some of those people have thought about you, but I can tell you that if they're looking at you through the eyes of Jesus and you talk to them about your past and, and where you've been and where you're going through, they say, you know what? We've all been there. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're here to point you to Jesus and he's the hope and the life. And well, I can't agree with all of your decision, I can walk with you. I don't have to have a heart full of hate to say, I just disagree with the decisions you're making because you don't understand what's happening on the inside of who you are. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes across this place? First thing, I, we just need to see some people set free today. And it's not anything that I can do. It's only, what only Jesus can do by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, first thing is this, and I'm not gonna ask anyone to raise their hands because I understand the sensitivity of this thing. But if you are caught up right now in sexual sin, God wants you to be free today. It could be an affair. 
could be an emotional affair. It could be an addiction to something on the internet. Whatever it is, Jesus wants you to be free, but it starts with surrender. Am I willing to lay it down? I can say, yeah, no, I, I, I'm dealing with things. It's just a moment of surrender. To be honest, it's honestly no different than any other moment of surrender where you just lay down the things that you're struggling with. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And the truth is, the cycles and the patterns of brokenness have caused a weariness to overtake your soul. He says, give it to me. I want you to be free. So if that's you today, you don't need to lift your hand. You don't need to do anything. I want you to silently surrender it to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I give this to you. I'm tired. Would you help me? Would you set me free? There's a spiritual component. Other thing is this. Maybe you carry some shame from your past. And, and I just get the sense that there might be some in the room who've gone through seasons of sexual abuse and you've carried some shame with those things shame and there's condemnation Jesus Christ if you come to him and the truth is you didn't sin somebody sinned against you but he just wants to wash that away from you today he wants you to be free he wants you to know that he sees you he knows you he loves you he's got a great plan and a purpose for you he doesn't want you know, walk bound up and broken anymore. He wants to put those broken pieces back together. Would you let him? So if that's you, say, Jesus, I give you this. For many, it's a secret. I give you this. I've never said it out loud, but I give it to you right now, Jesus. And I ask that you just wash me clean of the shame that I'm feeling. This condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Here's what I believe. Jesus has power and authority over everything, over everything. Jesus has power and authority over every single area and realm of our lives. If we would give it to him, if we would surrender it to him, he will set us free. I could just scratch the surface today to begin to establish a parameter for biblical sexuality, but just understand this, that he wants to transform you. He wants to set you free. He wants to show you how to live life in a new way. Don't go back to where you once were. It's time to step into freedom. It's time. Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Podcast live from Saints Church, Glastonbury. Once again, my name is Brett. I'm the senior pastor here. Thank you for coming on this journey with us. Share this message if it impacted you. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, you can text the word Jesus to J-E-S-U-S to 587-400-2010. And if you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. Text the word prayer to 587 587- 400 We'd love to pray with you. Have a great day.